Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Tech Swamp. We have your hosts and friendly neighborhood membership team here today, myself, Alex, and Caitlin. What up, Caitlin? You know, just membership chillin'. Membership chillin'. <laughs> today we're hitting you with a DC fall forecast. No, not the partly cr- cloudy with 100% chance of humidity kind of. Uh, forecast more of a congressional forecast. We're going to sit down with our senior director for public policy and friend of the podcast, Grant Default. But first, we're going to quickly talk tech history and run through some DC headlines. The day, August 24th, 1995, Windows 95 was released. More than 1 million copies were sold in the first four days of its release, which is pretty significant if you think about it, because people had to go to an actual store to buy it and like sleep in tents and stuff. <laughs> Microsoft paid the Rolling Stones $3 million to use their famous song, Start Me Up, for the first ever Microsoft commercial. And originally, Microsoft went to REM to use It's the End of the World as We Know It, but that didn't pan out. Uh, And that's all for tech history. That sound means it's time for What's Brewing in D.C. Caitlin, what are some of the top tech headlines? So some bad news out of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, otherwise known as CMS. Uh, The diabetes prevention program has slowed to a very slow crawl after senior officials have decided to stop funding the virtual program, as well as slowing down implementation for in-person programs. The reason? Alleged fraud. Officials say that digital programs are vulnerable to fraud and abuse, specifically when it comes to measurable, measurable forms of progress, like weight loss. Leaders in the medical field, though, argue that digital programs are actually less vulnerable to fraud since every piece of information is documented, which makes it easier to audit. SMH. In Supreme Court news, Apple v. Pepper is headed to the highest court this fall. ACT filed an amicus brief to reiterate the importance of the disintermediation app stores provide for developers and customers alike. That's right. Now, in our filing, we push back on the Ninth Circuit ruling that asserts the transaction is between consumers and the app stores. This ignores the relationship between developers and consumers. Customers agree to terms with the developers when downloading any app, and any matters that may violate the terms are between the customer and the developer. We also wanted to bring the court's attention to the benefits of app stores for small and medium-sized companies. There is a reduction in barriers to entry to the marketplace, access to millions of customers, and financial savings and overhead like marketing and transaction facilitation. Now, there's no word yet on when the oral arguments will be heard, but we will be sure to keep you posted once SCOTUS makes that announcement. And a little more in SCOTUS news, nominee Brett Kavanaugh's Senate confirmation hearings will begin on September 4th and last around three to four days. Senate Judiciary Chairman Chuck Grassley anticipates being able to complete the entire process about two weeks after the hearing ends. Last week, President Trump took to Twitter to making claims that social media companies are censoring users and fake news. He later went on to say that he would rather see fake news be circulated instead of it being censored. And the accusations from the president come amid efforts by social media platforms like Twitter and Facebook to remove conspiracy theories that could incite violence, as well as accounts associated with election interference. In fact, Senator Ron Wyden, author of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, reflected on the role of social media when it comes to free speech in an op-ed for TechCrunch. Senator Wyden discussed the consequences to social media hosting radically indecent speech versus free speech and additional considerations under the Communications Decency Act. We'll be sure to link to the full piece in our show notes. And one more tidbit, the U.S. Patent and Trade Office, otherwise known as USPTO, is hosting a video contest called Consumers Combat Counterfeits in an effort to raise awareness of the harm that counterfeit products can cause. 
Now, there are five categories that can be applied to, ranging from grade school students to federal government employees and their spouses. <laughs> so anyone can enter. For more information, you can find it in our show notes. Sounds like fun. <laughs> and that's all for What's Brewing in D.C. Today, we're getting a D.C. fall forecast with Graham. Hey, Graham. What's up? Hey. How's it How's it going? You know, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As we say, membership chilling. Membership chilling. <laughs> you're also membership chilling now. And now so. I'm yeah. chilling too. Yeah. Feels good. <laughs> Graham, you're like our most featured guest on Texalt. Thanks hey. for that. Oh, hey, sorry. Po- folks have to listen to me so much. <laughs> I think they appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Graham. So there's there's some stuff that doesn't happen in August, but tell us, tell us more about this thing that we call recess. Recess is great, to be honest with you. It gives you a chance to catch up on Netflix shows, um, do your laundry, you know, uh, uh, put all the pictures up that you've been meaning to put on your walls, things like that. But yeah, it's the House and Senate usually is out uh, all of August, more or less all of August, uh, and then to Labor Day they come back after, after the Labor Day weekend. This time, the Senate's still in session, was still in session up until this week. Um, they did a few things. But uh, in general, I think they knew that since the House was out, they could only do so much. It was a, it was a series of hearings, really, um, and, and uh, passing a few of the bills by, by a hotline and catching up on a few things the House side did on opioids, for example. Oh, right. There were uh, so many bills that the House passed on opioids, and, and the Senate was playing catch up on, on a few of those items and trying to work on appropriations as well. So um, not a whole lot happening, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah. here, here in August and uh, it's always been the case that both chambers want to leave um, I think the Senate just saw that they had a bunch of things to do before even heading up into an election right. year uh, that they that they wanted to catch up on yeah, yeah. and you told us a fun fact earlier that I just think our listeners would appreciate especially since yeah. this podcast is in fact called Tech Swamp and these things are associated with swamps. I really hope I'm not spreading misinformation with this, but this is what I heard, okay? And so, uh, yeah, we've always wondered, you know, why do they take an entire month off in August? I, you know, don't ask too many questions because I love taking a whole month off right. in August. It's great, right. even though you're working. Um, you're, <laughs> even though you're working, you're, you're not... Uh, you don't have to, like, wear a suit and tie to work. You yeah. need more yeah. cash. They bring dogs to the I hill. I love that, yeah. The dogs, are, the dogs are everywhere. Yeah. It's like a dog park there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> leash is required. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I, I heard that the reason that back when, back in the olden days, and we're talking 18th, yeah. Um, There's no AC then, in the then. early 19th centuries. No AC, but also it was the mosquito problem. Yeah. Here in the swamp, there was just too many mosquitoes, and there was not a great way of getting rid of them right. or getting away from them, except to just leave them. Leaving. Yeah. So that was what I heard as a major reason. So we can really think. In some ways, we can thank mosquitoes. We can thank for the them. month of August in Washington D.C. Oh, <laughs> pains me. But thank you, mosquitoes. Thank you so much. So you <laughs> mentioned earlier this year is an election year, and that yeah. the House and Senate now will probably be taking some more time. We think back in the districts and in the state. Yeah, that is a uh, when when senators and members of the House leave town. They're working, you know. They they are campaigning, and in particular, this close to to early November, uh, that's what they're going to be doing. 
and so the house is expecting to take up more more weeks uh, and and uh, stay in their districts more weeks than you would ex than in other years because it's an election year. And they're um, all up for re-election. They're all up for re-election on the house side. A third of the Senate is up for re-election. Uh, there are a bunch of open seats. Um, there's a handful in the Senate, and then in the House, um, there are something like there are something in the range of 60 op just open seats, so retiring members, uh, members that are forced to leave, whatever the case may be. Some members are under indictment. I mean, I, I it's hard to keep track, but um, not a lot of open seats where you'll necessarily see a change in the person in that seat, but maybe not a change in party. So uh, we're all wa we're watching that very closely. Um, but yeah, uh, and they may even take additional uh, weeks off in December. There are two weeks that we're that the House is supposed to be in session in December, and they might take one or even both of those weeks off, which would be pretty significant. Um, and it's part of the reason that we're having trouble scheduling things in December right now. Oh, yeah. Um, so they already sort of know that they could be weeks yeah. to be back in the district for campaign purposes. It's kind of how, even when I worked on the House side, you would hear just kind of word of mouth. Um, leadership would kind of put the bug in people's ears that you might, you might see one of the weeks go away. Right. Um, uh, from from session from the session calendar, so not to be surprised by that, and get ready for but potentially a change in schedule. Doesn't always happen, but that's kind of how it it gets out to people. Yeah, unfortunately. So 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 with an election year, what are some things that we should be watching as far as the election and and some of the seats or maybe some of the yeah. things we work with? It, so it's it's pretty hard to predict what the outcome is going to be in a lot of races. Um, there were, I think there are about 96 races that we are watching pretty closely because they're either gonna be close or so close that they're just a complete toss up. So, and, and that's on the Senate and the House side. So there were about um, you know, 11 Senate races that are gonna be pretty close, um, but relatively, most of those are kind of like relatively safe. We know kind of where they're, where they're gonna end up. And there, um, on the Senate side, we're not, I, I don't know which way it's going to go, but I would say I would lean toward the Senate staying Republican. Mm -hmm. uh, on the House side, I would lean toward the, the House flipping to Democrat because you have so many races that are a toss-up. And most of the races that are a toss-up are ones that would be moving from a Republican to a Democratic seat. Mm -hmm. um, got uh you know like something like 50 toss-ups and wow. and um you know of those i would say it, it's just more likely that you would see that the the democrats need about 24 seats to flip the house mm -hmm. um and so i think it's just more likely than not that more than 24 go to, go the democrat way interesting so in a lot of ways voter turnout is really gonna matter this election yeah i think voter turnout will play a big role you know if in and what brings people out you know is it dissatisfaction with the president is it you know is it is it that because the economy is doing relatively well now that people are not motivated to put a check on the president or um are they so dissatisfied with what the president's doing uh on whatever dimension is most impactful to them 
that they want to check on the president and they want to come out. So I think I think a lot of it boils down to <laughs> a referendum on the president, and that's what a lot of conventional wisdom is that you know, on a in a midterm re- mm-hmm. election, right. you know, it's about the president, it's about the job that the person in, in the president's office is doing. Right, and historically, that's always been yeah true. And historically, I think it's probably in the mid twenties of seats that that flip. Yeah, and so. Statistically speaking, it's more likely that the House uh, flips Democratic. That is interesting. So we've (laughs) talked about (laughs) some individual races. What about the, you know, chair, chairs of committees? That is going to be something that we're watching and that you are watching. Yeah, especially with the issues that we that we cover. So health care is really important to us. Connected health. Uh, privacy is really important. That debate is really heated up with California passing law, with uh, the general data protection regulation in Europe, uh, and a few other things happening. So the House Energy and Commerce Committee, uh, if if the party com- uh, flips in the House, then it's going to be Congressman Frank, Frank Pallone who's going to take over that committee. It's from New Jersey. From New Jersey. Well, there state. you go. Yeah. And uh, really, uh, you know, decent guy uh, who cares a lot about privacy um, and is probably going to be wielding a more uh, a bigger stick when it comes to tech companies and he's going to be more serious about um, trying to impose regulations on the tech industry mm. um, and then of course there's the Senate Commerce Committee that could go to Bill Nelson that's a really close Senate race so Bill Nelson, so a few things are at play here. So Bill Nelson will have to win his seat. And then um, he's the ranking member on that committee. He would take over. He was a former astronaut, right? Former astronaut, exactly. And he loves the fact that that committee oversees the, uh, the space program. Right. So that's, uh, he's very excited about that. And, um, uh, will it also oversee Space Force, though? The Space Force. The Space Force. <laughs> Probably I, not. I hope so. <laughs> he would know about <laughs> space, at least. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so those are some committees. Mm-hmm. Um, what about sort of just issues that we focus on here generally? Some predictions about sort of what's going to happen this Legislatively. Year, right, with, with those. Or the, just or just other issues that we might be taking up this year. So the, with the rest of this year, man... Um, I do think that a few things will happen on uh, the the communications front. So, so broadband, there might be a bill that makes some changes to kind of uh, spectrum allocation. So this has to do with wireless broadband. Uh, the House side wants to move a bill that that would make some changes there, and we would we would likely be for what they want to do, um, and then. Uh, We've got a few things on healthcare. There are really targeted things to the opioid epidemic, so substance use disorder, uh, and then the telehealth, access to health, telehealth services is what mm-hmm. what these bills would help enable. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, it's kind of expand the the scope of telehealth services in those areas. Um, so kind of small things, I would say that 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 could be done. Um, the privacy debate continues. Uh, the administration wants to come out with a series of policy statements and recommendations for Congress to move on a privacy bill. 
I don't think that that'll happen this Congress. Okay. I think it'll probably be next year that, that we would kind of revisit that and see where the chips are going to fall in terms of who who runs the House, who runs the Senate, and uh, whether or not that's uh, there's going to be alignment on, on those issues. So um, that's going to be a really big deal because a bunch of corners of industry are now saying that they want a privacy bill. Mm. And so I think it's a lot more likely that something happens. I just don't think it's going to be as quickly as this year. And this is something where, you know, I think in the past, especially for tech, there have been sort of sector-specific privacy laws um, and that's what sort of folks in our industry have had to deal with and a lot of our members have had to deal with but this would be like even more general ostensibly maybe yeah i i think that's kind of what what's being envisioned is is an overarching privacy law i think it will depend on on a bunch of factors whether that privacy law uh just kind of cuts around the the sector specific Mm -hmm. laws so that and in that case the privacy law would cover um, companies that aren't otherwise under an expert regulator like HHS or the FCC or um, FERC or, okay. um, or yeah. the financial services. And when we right when we mean sector specific, what we mean are things like HIPAA, yeah. which deals with health information, exactly. COPPA, which deals with children's information, things like that. Yeah. Interesting. And I know that the administration uh, through the Department of Commerce does not want to upset. Uh, you know, they don't want to like layer regulation on top of HIPAA, right. regulation on top of Graham Leach Bliley, which is the financial services analog to HIPAA. Um, they want to cut around it uh, for what it's worth. And then um, to the extent that HIPAA has issues, kind of HHS will run the process of opening, opening up those regulations. So privacy. Yeah. Privacy is going to be a thing. Privacy, yeah. We, we think about Maybe it a lot Maybe it already is. Here, yeah. <laughs> 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 no, yeah, it's, it's such a thing. And, yeah, well, I think we have to be ready for, for that debate, and we have to be ready to, to participate. So. Got it. It'll be fun. Uh, so anything else coming down the pipeline you think our, our listeners should, you know, have their um, ears ready for, so to speak? Ears to the ground ready? I think or I, ears to the headphones for this podcast. Hey. <laughs> right into the microphone for that. <laughs> microphone to your ear. Um, uh, I think there is a lot of um, sentiment that tech is quote unquote on their heels right now and vulnerable to um, vulnerable to either being regulated or. Uh, getting the short end of the the public policy stick, mm-hmm. I guess is for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, because of the Cambridge Analytica, uh, because of GDPR and losing the battle in California right. on privacy. And so I think there are a lot of interests out there that are ready to pounce on things that tech has been resistance to and resistant to, and that pu- policymakers have been resistant to because on tech's behalf. Uh, so, for example, the Communications Decency Act, um, I think there's a lot more appetite to open that up and start placing more, more liability on tech companies. Um, and so I think that's what I would be worried about in some ways and, and watching out for uh, coming down the pike. Got it. Yeah. Well, Graham, thanks for chatting with us today. We really appreciate it. 
Um, we'll throw some stuff into our um, into the notes for the show um, to kind of direct you to some resources to help you learn a little bit more about these races uh, and so on and so forth. And the anyway, mosquito thing. And the mosquito thing. That definitely that needs, fun. That needs a link. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, thanks a lot, Graham. Uh, and now we're going to throw it over to Caitlin and Mike Meikle for Member Minutes. And today for our Member Minutes, we have our very own member, Mike Meikle, here to discuss his brand new book. Mike, how are you doing this morning? Good, Caitlin. Thank you for having me on. Well, thank you for being on. So you just came out with a book. First and foremost, what is the title of this book? It's called Navigating the Medical Device Cyber Breach Jungle. That's the main title. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, uh, I published it with, uh, with the help of Dr. Peter Pollack. Awesome. So, so it's not just a security professional. It's also you have a medical medical professional advising you um, for this book. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, tell us a little bit about this book. I know that it, the title might make it sound a little intimidating to the average bear, but you, in fact, did write it for the average bear. That's right. Um, the reason why uh, Dr. Pollock and I collaborated on this book was because information security and, and the talk about data breaches or cyber breaches was so daunting to the to, ma- to medical professionals and also a lot of security books were so technical and usually um, written for the security practitioner we wanted to write a security book that was easily accessible by those in the medical field mm-hmm. so we crafted this book in a conversational tone where it's a it's basically a chat between a doctor and a security expert in a way that's not full of the usual security industry jargon or conversations about, um, you know, or deep conversations about NIST 800-53 and all the other kind of wonkish terms that usually immediately turn people off, especially those that are not in the field. Yeah. That's the approach we, we took. It's just a conversation between a medical practitioner a doctor and a security uh, professional. Um, so what about this book is unique? I know that there's an interactive table of contents. Can you talk about that a little bit and a little bit more about, you know, why this book is, is not just your average, uh, you know, manual, basically? Well, one of the ways we wanted to make it friendly is if we wanted to have the, the book uh, searchable very easily, if you had a specific question, we have an interactive table of contents. You just click on that specific section and it takes you right to the uh, the subject in question. Uh, we wanted to have it as like a reference guide. And that, to me, is what keeps it or stands it apart from a lot of the other industry publications, besides mm-hmm. its, at least what I believe, much more approachable format. So that is one way that we try to make it easy for a healthcare practitioner to use. Right, and it's it's not a very long read, right? It's about ninety pages yeah, on an e-reader. About, yeah, about ninety pages on an e-reader. We we didn't want. I mean, if you want more detail about security, there's tens, if not hundreds, of thousands of tomes and trees and frameworks that you can scour through. We wanted to make sure that it's as easily readable on a mobile platform, uh, as well as like say a desktop or laptop computer, and it's easily accessible. Right. And so where can people buy this book? Uh, it's 
easily available on the uh, actual um, Amazon website. Oh, well, perfect. I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone has, has a login for that. And if, if they don't, I'm happy to maybe lend mine. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, Mike, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Um, one more time, the title. It's Navigating the Medical Device Cyber Breach Jungle, and it's written by myself, Mike Meikle. That's M-E-I-K-L-E and Dr. Peter Pollock. Awesome. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us today on Tech Swamp. Is this is this your first time? Yes, ma'am, it is. I appreciate oh, it. Well, we will definitely need to have you back. I'd like that opportunity. <laughs> well, thanks so much. <laughs> thanks, Caitlin. Bye. Bye. And now it's time for our random identifiers. Today, we have the newest addition to the ACT team. Ashley, welcome. Hello, happy to be here. We are so happy to have you. Week three. Week three. So Ashley, <laughs> you're our new director of communications here yep. at the App Association. And um, we figured what better way to start off your time here than with um, some time on Tech Swamp. Yeah. Because it's super fun. Um, so uh, this is the portion where we just talk about things that we're pretty much obsessed with. Okay. Um, what do you have for us today? So I have the my favorite scammer tale of all time, <laughs> which would be uh, just a couple weeks ago, I finished reading Bad Blood by Wall Street Journal reporter John Carreyou, and this book is the definitive accounting of Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes and how the company came to be right. a lot of great behind the scenes and the fall of Theranos and John had access to all this because he was the reporter that broke the story for a Wall Street Journal and I this book is like a Stefan yeah. like the <laughs> SNL skin yes, <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> It has everything. We have Steve Jobs black turtlenecks. We have a product that doesn't even exist. There's medical malfeasance. There's bulletproof glass. I mean, just anything you can oh imagine came up in the Toronto story. But one of the weirdest kind of details in it, in a sea of real weird details, is that Elizabeth Holmes in sort of this reinvention of her to pit her as the Silicon Valley genius, went through a whole makeover. But the weirdest part of the makeover was she changed her voice and spoke in a very deep baritone mm. instead of her like lilting, more feminine Natural. voice. Interesting. And some people felt that, you know, maybe this was indicative of just Silicon Valley sexism. And that people listen to her because she spoke with this more male, sort of flat voice. Huh. I lean more to it was part of sociopathic tendencies yeah, that she exhibited <laughs> more Hiding than your anything. True self, so to speak. Maybe a little of both, a but both. definitely leaning towards yeah, the latter. You know. <laughs> yeah. But that was just one of the details that just caught me as yeah, just wildly intriguing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Caitlin. You also have some some cray for us. I do have some dramatic tales. Um, <laughs> so I was on vacation when all of this broke, and I came back to work and and just like ate it up. Um, there's been some Elon Musk, Grimes, Azalea Banks drama that's been going down, and I'm not going to get into all the details because they're not not explicit. Right. Um, but basically. Azalea Banks is trapped, quote, in Elon Musk's house for several days and sees just, like, a lot of crazy things unfold. Um, primarily when he was saying he was going to take Tesla private. 
Um, and he decided instead of $419 a share to make it 420 because he now is into like alternative cultures that I don't need to say on this podcast. <laughs> um, and Azalea Banks basically <laughs> screenshot just like conversations between Elon Musk's girlfriend Grimes and and herself and posted them on social media, making just a complete mess of like this entire situation. Wow. And I just Googled it before we started recording. Azalea Banks actually just issued an apology letter to Elon Musk because she feels so terrible about being just just laying it all out there. Like wow. there was not nothing that she hid about that. And so she feels responsible for Musk being subpoenaed by the SEC and reportedly <laughs> breaking up with his girlfriend, oh which God. like two very different things, but like both fun not intense. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so uh, my random identifier also is a little bit about the drama because um, I um, sort of just finished season two of a show called unreal, which mm-hmm. is basically like a scripted drama about um, the making of a show that is much like The Bachelor. Um, it's called Enchanted on the show. Um, and it is cray. Like, it is so crazy. So I know that there's also a book called something about The Bachelor, Bachelor Nation. Yes. yes. Bachelor. That goes into, like, the dark, deep, dark secrets of, like, the producers who do sort of maybe very questionable things while making the show. Um, and this show is basically the scripted version of that. Um, and it is wild. Like, the... They try to cover everything from, like, weird, like, sex things to mental health to suicide to um, race relations in the South. I mean, it is. <laughs> they do a lot of things on this show, but it is, like, a it's, like, a great watch. The two lead actresses are actually really, really great. They do a fantastic job. Um, but that show is great. <laughs> okay, guys, that's it for Tech Swamp. Um, if you heard anything on here that piqued your interest, head over to our website and make your way to the podcast section. We'll have notes on today's episode that include links to all the good stuff. And of course, we want to give a shout out to Brad Goodall, who composed the podcast Awesome Music. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Brad. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And of course, rate and review, please. Five stars. Yes. Special thanks and welcome to Ashley again. Thank you. I'm sure we'll hear from her again very soon here on Tech Swamp. And that's all for today, folks. Everyone say bye. Bye. Bye.